Most funds invest directly into assets such as shares or bonds, but some invest in other funds. These include BMO Managed Portfolio Trust, which invests its assets into other investment trusts and is run by today's guest Peter Hewitt. Peter, BMO Managed Portfolio Trust has two share classes, income and growth, and two portfolios. Do you run it as two separate funds or how does the structure work? Uh, yes, I do run it as two separate funds and they have quite separate objectives. They do have one link to each other, which I'll come back to and explain in a moment. But essentially, the growth fund seeks capital growth and the income fund seeks a high level of income with some capital growth, if possible. And they are within the one investment trust structure. So if you can imagine one company, but with two separate portfolios. Now, the one link between them is that a growth portfolio uh, does not pay a dividend. And indeed, the shareholders do not want a dividend. So any income that accrues to the portfolio... It gets transferred across to the income portfolio and in return and at the same time the same amount of of money but called capital is then returned from income to growth. To explain better, the growth portfolio yields about 1%, very small, but that gets transferred to the income portfolio and at the same time, the same amount gets transferred back to the growth portfolio. So if you could imagine at the beginning of a year, both portfolios valued at 100, with the income yielding 4 and the growth yielding 1, and then assume there was no change through the whole year, at the end of the year, the income portfolio would yield Five, but the capital value would only be 99, whereas the growth portfolio would have no dividends, but the capital value would be 101. So we seek to just improve income and capital respectively for each set of shareholders. A little complicated, though you explained it well. Is it a common type of fund structure? Um, it, it does exist be honest with you, I got the idea from the JP Morgan European Fund, which is exactly the same, one investment company, two separate portfolios, a growth and an income, only they don't have the income transfer that is the unique feature that we developed. But yes, there are two or three funds with a similar structure. Now, if you take the growth and income share classes separately, they each have market caps of less than 100 million. Is this a problem? And are you trying to do anything to increase the market caps? Good question. When we launched 10 years ago, the collective value of the two portfolios was about just over 40 million. So roughly 20 million each. And they were roughly the same size then. Now... The fund is valued at about 130 million, and the uh, growth portfolio is about 70, 
and the income about 60. So they've grown quite a bit. But there are absolutely no institutional shareholders and what's more the typical audience for investment companies, typical shareholders, which are private wealth managers, private client stockbrokers, none of them own this fund at all. It is owned purely by individuals. Um, So there was about 2,000 when we started. There's now about 15,000. So lots and lots of small shareholders, ISAs, SIPs, child ISAs uh, uh, and the like. And so although it sounds not that big at 130 million Given the size of transactions and who the shareholders are, um, it's big enough. And, of course, we want to grow further. OK. Now, BMO Managed Portfolio Trusts, um, as I mentioned earlier, invests in other investment trusts rather than directly in shares, like a lot of funds do. So what is your process for selecting an investment trust? And is it different to the process for selecting a direct share? Well, the process I use is I try and um, be quite pragmatic and objective about things. And I do quite a bit of desk work before we take an investment. And so by that, I mean, I actually, for almost all of these companies I own, I will read the annual report and the interim report and or fact sheets If there are any investment trust brokers who've written research, I will read that also. And then if it's one that uh, is interesting me, I will almost certainly organise a meeting on a one-to-one basis with the fund manager. That is key because from that you can gain a real appreciation of what um, his or her investment approach is investment style. You can ask a whole range of questions about their investment process, um, how they pick stocks, what type of markets they perform in or not, and then also about the investment company itself. What's the gearing, dividend policy, costs, management fees, whole range of different topics you can uh, find out about. And then I make my investment decision. And uh, the key thing for me is not just the discount or premium in some cases that trusts sell on, but what is the potential for asset growth? Because over time, I think that's what really delivers the strongest performance. Ideally, you find a great manager with lots of potential growth, capital and income, selling on a 15 or 20 discount. doesn't happen very often. Um, But in short, that's my approach. I suppose more widely, that's obviously your approach. But for perhaps some of our listeners, what are the most important things they should consider when choosing an investment trust for income? Well, for income, um, I would certainly uh, have a look at the dividend record, have a look at what the fund manager says about the revenue performance of the underlying holdings and what he or she believes will be the prospects for the upcoming year. 
And then there are some more technical things uh, you can look at, but they're there in the annual report. What is the revenue reserve? It's an item in the balance sheet, um, and you can look at that and see how big it is in comparison to the next year's dividend. These are the sorts of things that can give you a guide as to how sustainable the dividend is likely to be. And what would be a recent example of an income trust you added to BMO Managed Portfolio Trust? Well, there's two or three um, of different types uh, that that I'll mention. And one of them uh, is in what's broadly called the alternatives sector. Now, what does that mean? That typically means something that's not really sensitive to how equity markets or stock markets um, move, but is designed primarily to deliver a, a, a good and maybe growing dividend yield, but without much capital growth and not linked to equities. So the one I would like to mention was a new issue over the summer called Hypnosis Songs Fund. And uh, it's, it's unique it invests in um, music copyrights, so it will purchase from a songwriter their portfolio of songs, pay them a capital sum, then they will own the songs, and from that they will hopefully generate income. And it's quite interesting, uh, because after 20 or 30 years of copyright income being very flat and not growing. Now, courtesy of the various streaming services like Spotify and Apple Music, um, there's quite strong growth from copyrights of older songwriters and also some of the newer ones as well. And in addition, um, Hypnosis will be able to perhaps get songs placed in films, television, whatever, to try and increase the income. So that's something that will pay a prospective yield of about 5% and I suspect may have a bit more capital growth than perhaps the market is expecting. But it's predominantly for the income, which I think will grow nicely over the medium term. Another one I've bought, now I'm just seeing it's my biggest holding, which uh, is purely down to performance, is one called BB Healthcare. And uh, that invests in um, the wider healthcare sector, some biotechnology stocks, but life sciences, medical technology, speciality pharmaceuticals. Um, it's got a, a list of about 30 to 40 holdings, maybe mid and small size companies, predominantly in the United States, where there's a huge healthcare sector. Um, and it will have a lot of capital growth. But in order to attract investors at the time of IPO, um, they decided to pay a 3.5% dividend yield from capital, which you can do with an investment trust. So here was an opportunity for me to own a trust that's invested in an exciting area of long-term growth that gives a dividend yield as well. And it's performed very strongly over 
the last couple of years since it's been listed. And the third one I'll mention, a more traditional equity income stock that I bought earlier this year, was Scottish American, which is run by Bailey Gifford in in Edinburgh. It's in the global equity income sector, and uh, they are just very good managers who are good at picking growth stocks, but here they're kind of picking growth stocks but with a dividend income as well. I think it yields about 3.5%. It's managed on a global basis. It's got some interesting prospects. Talking about prospects, looking ahead, what areas of Investment Trust Universe do you think will offer the best prospects for income in 2019? Well, that's a good question. I think certainly the alternative sector, um, which is one removed from what's going on in the stock market. And uh, we're all aware that stock markets are quite volatile and uncertain at the moment. Um, But I think the alternative sector offers some quite stable and sustainable dividend yields, normally in the 5 to 6% range. I like ones where there is some growth of dividend income as well. Um, and I think that can give you an interesting total return in 2019, which just may be quite a difficult year for stock markets. I think some of the equity income funds are beginning to offer some value. And certainly if we get a dip in the stock market, that may be one area to look at where you might get dividend yields of 4 or 5% with decent dividend growth and some capital return. But please remember to view these things on a medium to long term basis. They may well not perform in the next week or month after your purchase, but if you come back to them after three to five years, you may be surprised by the size of your total returns. Are there any particular areas within alternatives or equity income that, you know, have potential? Well, I'm tempted in equity income to say the UK because the UK is such an unloved market just now and uh, there is absolutely no cause to be buying the UK at the moment. But I think if you look out beyond uh, the next few months, once politics gets itself organised, I think you've got some interesting value. And certainly if, if sterling was to fall... Some of the equity income holdings that are exposed to some of the big FTSE 100 companies that have a lot of overseas earnings could do well. The likes of City of London would be a good example. I think also Temple Bar is a well-run company with a value approach which has been unloved for a period of time. Could do well, I think, in 2019. You've taken on debt known as gearing, uh, with the income portfolio, but not the growth one. Why is that? That's an interesting question. The reason I did it for the income portfolio was simply this. We borrowed some five-year money from the Royal Bank of Scotland at a cost of 2%, and I redeployed that into some of the alternative sector that we've been mentioning in other words, not sensitive to equity market movements, and put it into certain trusts that yielded 5 or 6%. And if you work through the arithmetic, that will benefit 
the dividends of the income portfolio going forward, and it has done. As to why I've not geared the growth portfolio, firstly, a lot of the underlying investments are geared themselves anyway. So if I was going to gear the growth portfolio, I would consider doing it maybe after the market has fallen substantially and I was confident of the medium to long term prospects. Um, We're not there yet. I'm holding off just now on the growth portfolio. What would you say in general are the most important things that investors should consider when choosing an investment trust for growth? Well, I think it's all about can the fund manager make the assets perform? Um, And I've tried to select, and I tell you, we've got some absolutely great fund managers uh, in the growth portfolio who have delivered some absolutely outstanding returns over the longer term. Three or four examples could be uh, Jupiter European Opportunities run by Alexander Darwall, Finsbury Growth and Income, run by Nick Train. Um, TR Property, run by Marcus Fair Mudge. Um, Polar Cap Technology, run by Ben Rogoff. And others. Worldwide Healthcare is another one that I like. Um, And then the Bailey Gifford Trust, Scottish Mortgage, Monks, Edinburgh Worldwide. They are outstanding. They research their companies very, in a very diligent manner and pick some very interesting uh, companies, often with a technology or healthcare bias, which have got significant long-term prospects for growth. And that's what you should look for. Just think of what will be this trust in a few years' time. Where is it invested? Um, And if it's invested in areas, as I've indicated, like technology or biotechnology or healthcare, and you've got a proven fund manager... That could be a good way to lock in the secular growth prospects for the long term. Okay. And what would be a recent example of a growth trust you added to the portfolio? Well, one uh, new issue I took in September um, was called the Mobius Investment Trust, which is invested in emerging markets. And uh, I think that's a very interesting one. The fund managers uh, spun out of um, Templeton, who are a well-known emerging markets manager, um, and formed their own company and have launched an investment trust focusing on emerging markets with a small to mid-cap bias. They've put a lot of their own money into the trust. And when you get experienced and seasoned fund managers leaving a big company, to form their own company, there's a significant incentive for them to succeed. And I think that's the case in the Mobius Investment Trust. So as an exposure to emerging markets, again on a three to five year view, that's very interesting. And one also I like, I think is is, uh, very interesting indeed, is called the Alliance Technology Trust. And uh, that gives you a fantastic exposure to the technology sector. It's run by a guy called Walter Price, based in San Francisco. So he's ideally located to gain access to some of the new companies coming out of Silicon Valley. Yes, he's got a number of the holdings that we know and love, 
like Google and Apple and Microsoft, but he's also well exposed to some of the new, smaller mid-cap companies that are going public in uh, from Silicon Valley. He's an experienced investor, and it's a volatile area, but my word, it can deliver some strong returns in the long run. Okay. Now, talking of the long run, or maybe the not-so-long run, looking ahead, um, what areas of the Investment Trust University do you think will offer the best prospects for growth in 2019? That is a difficult one, um, because uh, the outlook is quite uncertain at the moment, both in the UK, courtesy of Brexit, and even in in overseas markets with trade wars going on. And um, it's not easy at the moment. There's a lot of uncertainty. Um, I intend to hang on to some of the names I've got in the technology and healthcare sectors. There is really very strong growth there. And also they are spreading out into so many other different sectors and disrupting existing businesses that that's an area that you would be well advised to have some exposure to. Um, But also, I must say that uh, it could be that the UK, as we move through 2019, if the UK goes through a difficult Brexit, as it looks like may happen, you could have some very interesting uh, growth companies in the UK in the vibrant small company area that may well be worthy of consideration. And in that area, a lot of the UK small cap trusts sell on discounts to their asset value. So could be an area of interest. OK. Now, we've talked about what you like in an investment trust, but is there anything that would make you totally rule out putting money into an investment trust? Well, I don't like where there is uh, more than one class of share um, because you have to be very clear what it is you own and what the motivations are of the owners of the uh, controlling share class. I think you have to keep an eye on gearing levels. You don't want to see an investment trust too highly geared because at some stage we're going to have a recession and that could make it difficult for a highly geared trust. And you also have to keep an eye on fees. Um, I'm not against performance fees, but you want them to be well-earned and um, not open-ended. And so um, some of the lower-cost global vehicles... um, really offer great value for money. And you don't have to look beyond Scottish Mortgage, which is in in the FTSE 100. It's a low-cost, well-run company. And uh, you'd have to say it would be a big recommendation. OK. On that sort of subject, what would be your main reasons for selling an investment trust? Well, I think there's two or three things I'd focus on. Firstly, if the share price got to what I consider to be an unsustainable premium to its asset value, um, I don't mind a trust selling on a 2 3 5% premium to asset value. Often that reflects ongoing demand for the shares and strong performance. When it gets beyond that, you really have to ask 
Why is that happening? So that could be a cause of me top slicing or selling a share. And then sometimes it can be the asset performance goes off the boil. An investment manager's style is uh, no longer appropriate for market circumstances. Or indeed, you have a change of fund manager, which can sometimes happen. And then you have to reevaluate the trust. And sometimes that can lead to you selling. Okay, what would be a recent example of an investment trust you sold? Well, in order to make way for the Mobius Investment Trust, I sold uh, Genesis Emerging Markets, which is a more mainstream emerging markets trust. It's had a decent, if slightly unexciting, record, but Genesis are mainly an institutional fund manager, albeit focused on emerging markets. And the marketing of the trust perhaps wasn't the best. It led to it selling at quite a wide discount. And quite a number of um, what are called discount players, who are institutions who just try and play the discount, often with an activist agenda, uh, were on the share register. And I just thought, No, this one is not likely to perform as well as Mobius um, in the long run. And so I sold it and redeployed the process, proceeds rather, into the Mobius Trust. BMO Managed Portfolio Trust has global exposure, but it's benchmarked against the FTSE Ultra Index. Why is this? And is it fair in view of the fact that it has a performance fee based on performance against this index, but invests globally? Well... Uh, The reason we've got the all-share index as our um, benchmark is simply because all our shareholders are based in the UK. They are almost all individuals, and that is what their liabilities are in, sterling, and what they look at as a proxy for equities is the all-share index. I could be 100% invested in the UK. I have been heavily exposed to the UK in the past. Or it may be I have the flexibility to go out with the UK and seek overseas markets. I'm then taking a view that that trust or market will outperform the UK. I may be wrong, but I might be right in that. Um, I just feel that that's because where the shareholders are based and what they view their liabilities are in sterling, that it should be the all-share index as the the benchmark. We do have a performance fee. It's capped, so it's not um, a significant performance fee. Our ongoing management fees are 0.65%, and the most we could earn in any one year would be 1%, um, which we've only done the once. So I think it's a good incentive But you don't want open-ended performance fees, and so that's my view on performance fees. And the shareholders have approved it, and we actually think it's a good idea. Now, markets are likely to be volatile next year and difficult to navigate. How have you positioned your portfolios to deal with this environment? Um, That's a good question, and uh, I think it's an uncertain environment. Uh, There will be volatility. There is a risk that markets could move lower. So with the growth portfolio, which from what I've been saying earlier, we've got some quite aggressive investments focused on capital growth. I've got a 
pocket within that which I term portfolio protectors, which are very, very defensive trusts, um, which I think will hold their value in a downturn. And I've been gradually building that up as the bull market has run on in recent years. They now account for about 15% of the growth fund. I've got roughly 5% in cash. And so that gives a bit of cushioning should there be a significant market fall. Because be under no illusion, the growth portfolio would ordinarily underperform in a sharply falling market. The income portfolio is different. It's more defensive by nature. It's focused on yield. It's got between 25 and 30% of the portfolio in the alternatives sector, so not really related to what's going on in the stock market. And so it struggles if the market's moving upwards rapidly, but similarly it tends to not fall by as much if markets are in a in a bear phase. And so that's how they're positioned currently um, and for the, the upcoming 2019, which I think could be an uncertain year for markets. Thank you, Peter. An interesting insight into the world of investment trusts and what lies ahead for markets. That brings us to the end of this interview, but see the website at www.investorschronicle.co.uk for more of Peter's views on the investment trust universe and markets. Thank you for listening.